Hey, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I've got one of the most popular Bible stories of all time here for you today. So here we go. Once upon a time, in a land that may or may not be far away and may or may not seem familiar to you, there lived a remarkably beautiful girl named Esther. She lived in a city called Susa, the capital city of the empire of the Medes and the Persians, and she minded her own business and probably lived a quiet life doing whatever she was told by her cousin Mordecai, who raised her. She and Mordecai were some of the Jewish exiles whose families had been brought to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they stayed in that foreign land even after the great kingdom of Babylon had been taken over by the Medes and Persians. But this story is from the book of Esther, and you don't get an entire book in the Bible named after you for nothing, so something would definitely happen. Well, something did happen, though Esther wouldn't have imagined she'd have anything to do with it. What happened was this. King Xerxes threw a big party at his palace in Susa. He was super rich and he liked showing off. He had rich tapestries and fancy linen curtains in his garden. He had a uniquely designed golden goblet for every guest. There were couches for people to lounge on. Even the floors that people walked on were made of precious materials like mother of pearl. The party wasn't just like a few hours either. It was an entire week of all the Empire's elite partying and drinking as much wine as they wanted, and there was nobody to tell them no. On the seventh day of the party, being in high spirits and very drunk, King Xerxes called for his wife, Queen Vashti, to be brought in just so everyone could see how beautiful she was. Being paraded around a garden full of drunk men staring at her didn't sound good to Queen Vashti, so she said no. Well, King Xerxes was not accustomed to being told no. He kind of freaked out. He asked his advisors, what do I do? And they were like not accustomed to being told no either. They were horrified. They thought if Queen Vashti said no to the king, then it would become a fad. And their wives might tell them no. And noblemen whose wives tell them no, it was like too horrible to even consider. What if even, like, the common men started telling them no, or the common women? It couldn't happen. Society as they knew it would crumble. It, with the no, the, their society with the noblemen at the top with unquestionable authority would collapse into chaos. And they would be, like, they wouldn't be the most important people in the world anymore. So basically, it would be the end of the world as they knew it, right? So they said, King Xerxes, you've got to banish Queen Vashti. Banish her, never let her come back, get rid of her as a punishment for not doing what you said so that everyone else will be scared. So he did that. He made a decree. And like, if you listen to the Daniel episode, you may have heard of the laws or decrees of the Medes and Persians being irrevocable. Irrevocable. That's hard to say. Irrevocable, not revocable. Uh, so once the king made a decree, he could not undo that decree. So he did. He, he, he was so mad that he made the decree as he had been advised to banish Queen Vashti from the kingdom forever. And that was that. Queen Vashti was banished. Well, after a bit, King Xerxes stopped being so angry and he probably stopped being so drunk and he remembered what he had done and he remembered he didn't have a queen anymore and he couldn't just like get her back because, you know, of the decree thing. And then he felt kind of sorry, like sorry for himself. Um, but he couldn't take back the decree once he'd made it because that's the rule about rules 
for the Medes and Persians. So to cheer him up, the advisors were like, just find a new queen. So they just ran out into every province of the whole empire, like hundreds of, of cities, grabbing the most beautiful young women. The young women and their families were not consulted, and they made just a big collection of beautiful young women, and that's where Esther comes in. She had been collected. Is it kidnapping if it's, like, totally legal? I mean, I think so. But anyways, they took her away. Mordecai, her cousin who raised her, told her not to tell anyone she was Jewish. They were a minority, strangers in a strange land, and he was worried about her safety in the royal palace. I wonder if he knew about the stuff that happened to Daniel, like, had he heard these stories? And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I wonder if he knew other people who had been targeted for being Jewish like they were? And uh, he wanted his beloved cousin to be safe, so he told her not to let anyone know she was Jewish. Maybe he didn't want her to have a Daniel moment where she refused to eat the food served to her. That could go really badly for a young woman taken from her only protective relative. Well, Esther trusted her cousin, and she did what he said, because it was wise advice. She went to live in a harem with all the other women, and there was, like, a eunuch in charge? Eunuchs were men who, for a variety of possible reasons, weren't attracted to women, so he wouldn't act inappropriately to them. The culture was like a curious one where men had to be in charge, but also men thought that men couldn't be trusted. Anyway, as far as I know, this guy was a decent guy. His name was Hege, and he was in charge of putting the young women through like an entire year of makeovers and beauty treatments and like spa treatments and stuff. He got along really well with Esther. She always listened to his advice, and she became one of his favorites, so he gave her some of the best treatment and special food and servants to take care of her so she could focus on looking beautiful, whatever that meant in ancient Persia. And uh, Mordecai was really lucky they actually lived in the capital city because Esther wasn't taken very far away. Every single day he'd go to the gate nearest where Esther was being kept and he'd see if he could see her or hear about her or get any news at all. This is how it worked. When a woman had gone through a whole year of beauty treatments, she would go see the king one evening, and then in the morning, they would move her out from where she'd been with all the young women to a different part of the palace. And um, after that, she might never see the king again, unless, like, he really liked her enough to remember her name and ask for her by name. Well, when it was Esther's turn, she asked for Hege's advice, and she followed it, and everyone really liked her. Even the king really liked her. And uh, he decided Esther was his favorite so he made her the new queen. Esther's the queen now. And they had this big party to celebrate. She continued to keep her nationality and her family background a secret, just like Mordecai had told her. And Mordecai kind of kept up this habit of sitting by the gate, hoping to hear that Esther was doing all right, even though no one was supposed to know she was his cousin. Only one day he heard a lot more than he bargained for. There were these two officers guarding the gateway talking to each other about how angry they were and how they were going to kill the king. I don't know why you would discuss your plan to assassinate the king in broad daylight near the palace, but they did, and they weren't even paying any attention to Mordecai, and he heard it, and he was like, oh, this is big news. So he told Queen Esther, and Queen Esther told the king, this guy Mordecai told me that these officers are planning to kill you. And then the court did an investigation and found that this was actually a legitimate threat. So they got rid of those guys. The scribes wrote it down in the book of everything that happens to the king. 
and then the king pretty much forgot about it. Maybe this was like a regular weekday for him. So uh, after all this happened, things kind of keep mixing up in the royal court. And King Xerxes finds this new favorite guy. And he puts this guy named Haman in a really important position. He's basically the steward of the kingdom. And I say steward because my kids have like some preconceived ideas about stewards in video games and stuff. And like, well, usually they're not good people. So anyway, he's the steward, and the king said, Haman's more important than all the other nobles, and everyone should kneel down and pay honor to Haman. So when Haman went out the gate of the palace, everyone was supposed to kneel down, but Mordecai, who hangs out at the gate, you know, he didn't kneel down. So every day, the officials who would be at the gate would say to Mordecai, oh, hey, you know you're supposed to bow down to Haman, right? And every day, Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman. Eventually, they told Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's behavior because Mordecai had told them he was Jewish. And Haman's not a guy who says, oh, I see you have a different culture and I'm going to respect your culture. You're not going to bow down to me and I'm going to respect that. No, 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 no. That's not what Haman says. Haman feels disrespected and he wants to kill Mordecai. But not only is he going to murder a guy just for, you know, not bowing down to him. No, no, no. He wants to kill everyone like Mordecai. He wants to destroy every Jewish person in the entire kingdom because he's a horrible guy. And uh, Haman's like, what day should I propose for killing all of Mordecai's people? And so he just um, rolled the dice. And this was the first month of the year. And he rolled these dice and the dice said, or, or sometimes it's called a lots, but you can picture dice if you want. So the dice said 12. So he decided he would kill all the Jewish people in the 12th month of the year. So he went to the king and he's like, uh, King, there's some people in your kingdom who are different and they have different customs and they don't obey the king's laws. And I don't think you should let that go on. That's really bad. So he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a decree that all throughout the kingdom um, on a single day, Anyone was supposed to kill anyone they saw who was Jewish on a single day in the 12th month. And Haman was like, I'll give you like a big donation. I'll give you like lots of money if you give, if you put this decree I want into law. Basically, he wants to pay money to kill the Jews. And the king is like, I trust you. You can handle this. And he gave Haman his signet ring so Haman could make, make basically whatever decree or law he wanted because the ring was the royal seal they'd used to seal the official documents and it's the like the it's kind of like the official signature of the king and Haman's got it and basically he can do whatever he wants because the king is like busy partying or whatever. So on the thirteenth day of the first month of the year, they got the royal secretaries and scribes to write this decree and send it out to every province. And of course, Haman used the king's own ring to seal the message. And the messages said that throughout the kingdom, people would kill all the Jews and take all their stuff. That's the incentive there. On a single day, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, so almost a year away. And uh, they translated it into every language anyone spoke, and they sent the message out to everyone, and they made a big announcement in the city of Susa. And then the king and Haman sat down to drink and relax, but everyone in the city of Susa was bewildered. And when Mordecai found out about this, he, he was horrified. He ripped all his clothes and put on these scratchy mourning clothes called sackcloth. And um, he dumped ashes on his head as a symbol of mourning. And he went to the king's gate and he, he wept, he cried. But he couldn't go further into the courtyard like he usually would because you're not allowed to wear mourning clothes like that close to the palace because the king didn't want to be bothered with people being sad. 
And Jewish people all over the empire heard this news and reacted the same way because uh, this is such an evil, terrifying thing. Um, and Esther, though, she doesn't seem to have known what was happening. She had been informed that this guy who often asked about her, who no one knew was her cousin who raised her, was publicly mourning by the gate, and she got really worried as she sent some clothes for him so he could change out the sackcloth, but he refused. So then she sent a servant, uh, a male servant named Hathak, to talk to Mordecai. And Mordecai told him everything that was happening, including even how much money Haman had promised to give to the king to destroy their people. And he gave Hathak a copy of the decree, and he told Hathak to show the decree to Esther and explain what it meant, and to tell her that Mordecai says she needs to go to the king and plead with the king to save the people. And when Esther got the message that Hathak gave to her, she told Hathak to send a message back to Mordecai saying, everyone knows that anyone who approaches the king when he's in the inner courtyard who hasn't been summoned by the king will be killed for daring to approach the king unless the king extends the golden scepter so that they can be spared. And I haven't been summoned by the king for 30 days. And Mordecai told Hathak to go back and tell Esther, you're not going to be spared from this slaughter just because you're the queen. If you don't do anything to save your people, someone else somewhere will do something to protect the Jewish people, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows, maybe you were put in this position for such a time as this. So Esther replied to Mordecai, assemble all the Jews you can find and hold a fast. Don't eat or drink for three days and nights, and I and my servants will also fast, and then I'll go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. So fasting is when they wouldn't eat, and in this case, um, they'd also spend extra time praying. And so that's what she's doing to get ready for this very scary, very dangerous event. So on the third day after the fasting, Esther dressed in her best clothes and she went to the inner courtyard of the palace. Would the king extend the golden scepter, or would she be killed for her audacity in approaching his royal highness without permission? As she entered, she saw the king sitting on the royal throne, facing the entrance, and as soon as he saw Queen Esther, he extended the scepter. And he asked her, What is it, Queen Esther? I'll give you anything you want, even if you want half the kingdom. And Esther said, Would you and Haman come to dinner with me? Y'all remember Haman, right? The guy whose idea it is to kill all the Jewish people? Remember, the king doesn't know about this conflict because he doesn't actually know Esther's Jewish. Esther does know about it. So the king says to his servants, hurry up and get Haman so we can do what Esther wants us to do, which is, you know, coming to dinner. So after they had the dinner, they're just, you know, sipping their wine. The king knows Esther is not going to risk her life just to eat dinner with him. So he says again, he says, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. I'll give you anything you want, even half the kingdom. And Esther said, this is what I want. If it pleases the king, grant my request. Come to dinner tomorrow, you and Haman. And tomorrow I'll make my request. And Haman left the dinner like in high spirits. He was like, woohoo, I'm so important. Um, and then he saw Mordecai at the king's gate. Mordecai didn't stand, Mordecai didn't bow, Mordecai didn't so much as tremble in fear at his presence, and that made him really, like, mad. Haman was mad. But the text says he practiced self-control and went home, and I kind of wonder if that's, like, a joke, because <laughs> that's not what I call self-control. But anyway, 
he called for his friends and his wife to all gather together so he could tell them, you know, how important he was. So he described how wealthy he was and how many wonderful sons he had and how much land he owned. And now he was so important to the king and he has the king's signet ring and, and Queen Esther, the beautiful and beloved, had invited just him and the king to dinner. And he said, I'm even invited again tomorrow, but I'm still not happy because Mordecai, the Jew, sits at the king's gate all the time. And everyone's like, oh, just one guy. I mean, you can take care of that. Here's what you should do. You can, like, just build a gallows 75 feet high and in the morning get permission from the king to kill Mordecai. Uh, and then you can go, then you can enjoy yourself at dinner tomorrow. So he did have these gallows built immediately, but they were kind of conspicuous. But that's like the whole point is Haman wants people to be scared of not bowing to Haman. Well, something happened that Haman could not have predicted. That's good for the rest of the people in this story. That night, the king couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. He was tossing and turning. And he's like, somebody come read me a story. And the story he wanted to have read to him was the book about himself. And you may have remember, I mentioned the book about himself, that they wrote every day. They wrote what happened to the king. And it just so happened, big coincidence, that the section they read this night was the report of how Mordecai had overheard some guards plotting an assassination attempt, reported it, and saved the king's life. And then the king interrupted the reading. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Like some people do sometimes during bedtime stories so that he could ask a question. He says, wait. So uh, what did we do to reward Mordecai for this? And the servant who was reading it looked ahead in the text and was like, uh, nothing. Looks like nothing. I guess we didn't do anything for Mordecai. And the king is like, huh, I don't like that. I should probably reward people for saving my life. That's just good politics. So is anyone hanging around at this time of night? And it just so happened that Haman was hanging around planning to see if he could talk to the king to get permission to kill Mordecai, which is like a little bit awkward, but Haman doesn't know that. And the king's servant said, oh, Haman's right over there. And the king said, send him in. And before Haman could ask his question, the king asked his question, what should I do if I wanted to celebrate somebody? And Haman couldn't think of anyone that the king would want to celebrate more than Haman. So he thought of something he'd really like. He said, oh, well, if the king wanted to celebrate someone, the king should dress that person in royal clothing that the king himself has worn and uh, have him ride a horse that the king himself has ridden. Oh, oh, and you should have him taken around the city by one of the king's most noble officials who will say, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. And the king told Haman, oh, yeah, you're so smart. That's a great idea. And as my most noble official, you need to do all that for Mordecai. He's like always sitting at the gate, so it should be easy to find him. So the next day, Haman had to parade Mordecai around the city talking about how honorable Mordecai was. Can't imagine either of them were particularly happy about it. And once he was done parading Mordecai around the city, Mordecai just went to sit at the king's gate again. But Haman pulled his hood over his head so no one could see his face and he rushed home. And all his friends who had advised him the night before, they said, Oh, well, um, I sure hope Mordecai is not one of those Jewish people you're trying to kill, because if he is, you're probably in a lot of trouble. And uh, Haman didn't feel so good. But before they could even finish having this conversation, 
the king's servants showed up to whisk Haman away to Queen Esther's fancy dinner. So King Xerxes ate dinner, Haman not in his good spirits, and then the king, over wine, asked again, Queen Esther, tell me what you want. I'll give you anything you want, even up to half the kingdom. And Queen Esther says, if you like me, my king, and if it would make you happy, what I ask is that the king spares my life and also spare my people. That's what I want. For my people and I have been targeted and sold out for complete destruction. We will all be killed. None of us will be left. If we'd merely been taken as slaves, I wouldn't even disturb the king with it. And the king was really upset. And remember, he doesn't know Esther's Jewish, and um, he wasn't really involved. Like, he didn't care about the law that he had told Haman to make. So he's like totally bewildered by this claim that his beloved queen and her people, whoever that is, are being targeted. Who on earth would do such a thing? He asked Esther. Our enemy is this evil man, Haman, she said. And then Haman was like, uh-oh. And the king was really mad. So he went for a walk in the garden to think for a moment. Meanwhile, Haman begged the queen to tell the king to spare Haman's life. Like, totally invading Queen Esther's personal space bubble in his panic, because he figured that he was going to die, like, as soon as the king got back, and maybe Esther could save him. Well, the king got back inside, seeing Haman upset, and he was totally, like, all up in Queen Esther's face, and he thought Haman was trying to hurt her, and he said, would he actually attack the queen while I'm right here? And no sooner had the king spoken than some guards grabbed Haman and tied a bag over his head so he couldn't see or talk. And then someone rushed in and said, uh, King, you should probably hear this. There's a giant gallows that Haman is planning to use to kill someone. And the person he's planning to kill is the guy Mordecai, who we just celebrated for saving your life. That made the king even more angry. And he said, hang Haman on those gallows. And then once Haman was dead, the king calmed down a bit. He gave Esther Haman's estate, all his land and property. I remember that fancy signet ring that shows you can make edicts on the king's behalf that the king gave Haman? Well, obviously he took it back from Haman. And then he gave it to Mordecai after Esther told him actually Mordecai was her cousin who raised her. And then Esther put Mordecai in charge of all Haman's property. Well, that had been settled to the king's satisfaction, but the big issue still not settled. Esther again went to the king and knelt down in front of the throne and wept and begged him to get rid of the edict made by Haman telling everyone to kill the Jews. And the king extended the golden scepter, and so she touched that, and she stood up and asked him to make an edict, revoking Haman's edict and save her people. And the king was just like, look, I've killed Haman, I've given his estate to Esther, write whatever you want. You can, you know, make a document, make a decree, a document written in the king's name and sealed with a king's signet ring cannot be revoked. Of course, Mordecai had that ring and permission to write in the king's name, but remember, the king's edict can't be revoked. They can't actually get rid of the edict made by Haman, but they could solve the problem some other way. So Mordecai assembled the translators and the scribes to write and translate his edict, and they had it sent out to every province and every language anyone in the kingdom spoke, as exactly as Mordecai had said to do it. And couriers on horses took the message all over the kingdom as fast as possible. And this is what the message said. It said the Jews had permission to destroy anyone who wanted to destroy them. They could be armed and band together and fight in their own defense. And if anyone wanted to listen to the previous edict telling them they could kill all the Jews and take their stuff, then the Jews were allowed to kill them. Well, the whole city of Susa was relieved. And Jews all over the empire celebrated and instituted a holiday to celebrate every year. And lots of people even declared themselves Jews because they'd rather be on their side than against them. 
Then later that year, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, the month of Adar in the Jewish calendar, when the enemies of the Jews had hoped to destroy them, the Jews overpowered their enemies. They armed themselves and assembled together. Most people were too afraid, and those that did attack were killed, including the last of Haman's family. They didn't take any treasure from them, but throughout the kingdom they fought against their enemies and killed them. The king even gave them permission to do it again the next day in the city of Susa. Everywhere else they had a big party on the 14th day of the 12th month, but in the city they were still fighting and had a big party on the 15th day. They celebrated every year after that with presents for their friends and presents for the poor and parties and food for everyone. And the holiday in this story is actually still celebrated today. It's called Purim, which comes from the word for like lots, like casting lots like Haman did when he, when he tried to figure out what day to destroy the people. And um, some of you probably know that. If you're listening to this story when it's released to the public on Thursday, February 25th, then tonight after sunset is actually when the holiday of Purim starts. And if you celebrate it, I wish you a happy Purim. So Mordecai and Esther wrote the whole story out and sent a record to everyone with instructions to celebrate the holiday. And uh, Esther continued to be beloved. The king continued to be super rich and probably kind of oblivious. And Mordecai continued to use his privilege and his important positions to help all of his people. The end. I'm actually planning to have another story up in two weeks, if I can get to it. It's sort of related to this one. It's the story of when King Xerxes' son, King Artaxerxes, starts letting people go back to their homeland in Israel and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. All right, before I stop, I did want to mention a couple things. One, please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon. And two, I am considering publishing my stories in a new way. I think it'd be really cool to turn them into books or a book. That could be like a really thick book. I've written a lot. Uh, so it's a long shot. But if, but like, I know a lot of people listen to this podcast. And if anyone listening knows of or is a publishing agent who would be interested in this kind of thing, then I am interested in talking to them. So you can email me through my Buzzsprout page to get in contact with me about that. All right, that's all. So thanks so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child.